You're listening to audio from the Decidedly Podcast. For more information, find us on Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. It's football season. It's football season now. It, it is indeed. And I've made a big decision. Oh, let's, uh, let's hear it. I am now a Detroit Lions fan. You were telling me this the other day, and you you mentioned it kind of offhand, and I do not understand that decision at all. Here's why. All right, let's hear it. All right. I'm a Cowboys fan. All right. I'm an an Aggie. Went to Texas A&M. Right. Those are my teams. Okay. I'm going to do the same crap every year. Okay. (laughs) All right. Both of them. Can you believe? Can you believe Appalachian right, but State listen, beat listen. No, I can't, but this is what they do. Ugh. Every year, they make some moves in the offseason. All right. They recruit some good players. They, they you know, re-sign. So the Cowboys re-sign somebody or trade somebody or whatever. Yeah. And all the media hype gets behind them. Oh, this is, this is going to be their year. year. This is our year. Oh, we're coming. And... They get ranked highly in the preseason polls or in the ESPN power rankings. Yeah. Maybe they go out and win a couple games. Maybe they even beat someone they maybe shouldn't have beat. And inevitably, they disappoint <laughs> me. And they fall short of the far too high expectations they set. Now, the benefit of this year, the blessing that both of my teams have given me is that they had the decency in week one to let me know <laughs> that they're awful. All right. So instead of having my sights and my heart and my hopes set on a college football playoff appearance or a Super Bowl appearance, and then having the team regress to winning only eight games and right. that being a failure, right? I would rather cheer for a team that if they won four games would be an utter success. <laughs> so you're, you're just going to root for the underdog the whole time. I'm going to that- root for the next NFL season. I'm going to root intentionally for the worst franchise in NFL history uh, th- because all that I have to gain is a win, a, a surprise win, and, and I have nothing to lose. If they go out and lose the rest of Every single remaining game on their schedule, that would be funny. No, no. This is the worst decision. You're crazy. No, no, I, it is. Here's why. Because it takes no, it, it, there's no courage in rooting for the underdog. Because if if Detroit totally just bombs it, then you can go, well, you know. These are they, my teams. These are my teams. <sighs> the Detroit Lions and wherever Tom Brady is playing. Okay. That's it. All right. And so if Tom Brady, I want Tom Brady to win a Super Bowl and then want, and I want the lions to win four games. And if they're playing each other in the regular season, I want to see the lions win because I want Dan Campbell and the, the horrible roster that they've um, piecemealed together in Detroit to, I want them to, I want them to have a little bit of success. Uh, and, and I'm not going to get emotionally invested in a team that's going to disappoint me. So that's the choice that I've made. You're not going to talk me out of it. My Lions jersey is on the way. I'm going to the Cowboys. You bought a jersey. Well, I bought a polo shirt. All right. Uh, I bought a polo shirt. And um, I'm going to go this October, Cowboys Stadium. Uh-huh. Dallas is playing Detroit. And Wait, I you're not going to vote? You're not going to root for Detroit in I Cowboys State? In oh, Cowboys over. Stadium. This is over for me. It's over. 
Oh, Detroit you turncoat. I'm a, I'm a Detroit fan now. You can't talk me out of it. And guess what? I still get to watch my team on Thanksgiving. <laughs> oh, there's that. <laughs> you can actually watch both teams. No. Yeah. <laughs> so we. Uh, I know that that's going to cause some family drama around Thanksgiving. I'm not a big that enough fan strain, that I care about this. may strain the relationships that we have. <laughs> um, but we learned a lot about family relationships and marriage, parenting, and overall life coaching from Dr. Kim Swales today. She is a PhD in marriage and family communications for over 25 years. Uh, she's done her postdoctorate studies in counseling formally. She was a researcher and college professor, and now she is in private practice as a marriage relationship, parenting, and life coach. Uh, she's published research on gender communication, friendship, family, and marital communication, as well as relationship maintenance. She won a prestigious national award for her research on communication between men and women, which I'll go read later. Uh, <laughs> she hosts uh, the Connecting Podcast. We talked with Kim about grounding practices, reducing emotional reactivity, breath work, the Ignatius way of decision-making, and not trusting your gut. I know you're going to learn a lot. As always, I'm Sanger Smith with my dad, Sean Smith, and this is Decidedly. Kim, glad you Hi. made it. Hi. Hi. How are you guys? Hey, Kim. It's great. Sanger thought we were actually talking about being grounded this morning. And so, uh, he was concerned that he was going to have to stay in his room and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> I don't know anything about that. About never, being grounded? That never happened to me. <laughs> I just, uh, Summer just, your sister just admitted that when she was a kid, she would purposely get grounded if she knew there wasn't anything exciting going on the following weekend <laughs> <laughs> she'd save up her bad behavior yeah, yeah she would just take one you know and just like hey i'm, I'm gonna come in you know after curfew because there's not anything going on next week it won't you know no big cost <laughs> <laughs> she was always weighing the benefits uh, yeah right. she was banking her punishments ahead of time that's true that's right true. That's, that's so can we, we had wanted to talk to you about being grounded tell me a little bit about your background you were a marriage and family communication you have a phd in that mm -hmm. you do a lot of counseling and therapy with mm -hmm. couples individuals and, and those mm -hmm. types of things what are you focusing on mainly in your counseling and therapy work i kind of have three areas in my clientele I, I would say my favorite thing is honestly parenting coaching i love helping parents become better parents. And I have so many people who tell me like, I just thought this would be instinctual, but it's really not. And also, you know, from our generation, Sean, I don't know how old you are, but I'm going to guess maybe we're in the same bracket. I have a 25 year old, 21 year old and 16 year old. So some young adults and still one teen, you know, the world has changed drastically. And so parenting has to kind of keep up with those changes. Um, and what I love about parenting coaching is it's very practical and parents are so motivated to do the work because they really want to do that well. Um, I also do marriage coaching, marriage counseling, and people aren't quite as motivated there. And that's frustrating, you know, sometimes <laughs> for me because in, I don't know, it's, it, I find it funny now that people are more motivated to be good parents 
than they are to be good marital partners. But I do find that sometimes. So that works a little, that, that work is a little tougher, but I enjoy it, especially when the people are willing to put in the work. And then the third area I do is just really kind of support people going through life transitions, you know, some anxiety, depression. I kind of stay out of the heavy psychology. You know, I don't really do uh, addictions counseling or eating disorders. I kind of, I, I just help people really kind of with life things. Yeah. The, why do you think people are more open to counseling when it's a parent related than when it's uh, marriage related? I've thought about that a lot and I think it's more work. Um, I think so many parents now are deriving like more pleasure from kind of watching their kids do things. It's almost like they're reliving. Well, their you own can childhood. quit on your kids. Or you can quit on your marriage. You can't quit on your kids as easy. You're right. You're right. Um, And I think people get into this mode of, you know, they're going along and it might not be great, but it's okay. And there's a lot of, to, to repair your marriage, I think you really have to be very vulnerable and it's kind of giving up control a little bit because you have to do things for the other. And parenting, I think people still feel like, they're in control, even though I try to tell them, you know, they got to kind of really meet their child where their child is in parenting sometimes, not coddle them by any means. <laughs> um, but so I don't know. I don't know. And I think a lot I, I of think people- when you when you look at parent counseling, I think there's probably the the assumption as a baseline when you go in that it, the kids screwed up. You know, it's the kid's issue, obviously, oh, you know, because yeah. I'm, I'm the parent and it's the oh, kid. Yeah. And so the kid just doesn't know yet. And I think that there's a risk in marriage counseling that, hey, this might turn on me. You're right. Yeah. Maybe right. I'm the problem. I might be the problem. <laughs> You're right. And, and you know what, Sean? Nine times out of 10 in parenting coaching, the parent's the problem, too. Yeah, well, no, I I'm and sure. I just got a puppy. He knows that I'm, from experience. I, hey, I know that. Hey, no. <laughs> yeah. And they'll say, can you see my 10-year-old? Can you come to? And I'm like, no, I can teach you how to parent your 10-year-old. And I've just got a new puppy. He's at my feet now, and I'm praying he stays there for the remainder of the recording. But I found that with him, too. Like, even puppy bad behavior is my fault or my husband's yeah. fault. So we're working yeah. with a trainer to do that. And so I don't have kids, but I imagine if you've got dramatic problems from your 10-year-old mm-hmm. and they're so severe you need a counselor, uh, it's probably your fault. Yeah. But you it's got to be. Sanger, it's not even serious stuff. Like, a lot of times it's people coming to me, their kid loved to play baseball, and then all of a sudden they don't want to leave their room. Nine times out of ten, that's a video game addiction problem. But it's not like they're failing or they're refusing to do things. A lot of the times it's just people want a little more peace in the family or they realize, you know, they don't have a consistent method of discipline. So I'm not even, people aren't even coming to me with severe problems. Now, obviously, some children do get depression or do get anxiety and and those kids do need counseling, but sure. I'm doing what I'd call more parent coaching to help them just be um, more effective parents, more empathic parents. What was your journey like to finding this calling in, in this career? Um, I love that question because it's not what people expect. Um, and I'm real open about it, but my dad had an affair and left our family when I was in um, like sixth, seventh grade. And I was in Pennsylvania in a small Catholic school. We were like the only family 
going through divorce and it was very, very, very painful. And I felt so embarrassed and it was just such a traumatic thing. We had to move like our lifestyle just changed drastically. Mm-hmm. Um, and not at that moment, I did know that I would get as much education as I could because my mom did not. And she was a stay at home mom. And so it really impacted our family. She had to find a job. And so I did in that moment say, I'm going to be as educated as I can possibly be. But then later on, as I got to college and started studying things, I was like, wow, there's a whole area of professionals who can help families either so that they don't get divorced and they can repair their relationships. Or when they do get divorced, there are professionals who can help them you know, the parents co-parent well together. So it's not as traumatic for the kids or to help the kids get through those times. And so it really was personal experience. And I'm sure you hear that with a lot of the entrepreneurs and business owners that you guys interview, that it's something that happened to them that motivated them toward their calling. You're totally right though, Kim. The, I think that for entrepreneurs to be successful, they have to have that passion. You if you're going to take the risk to be a business owner, you've mm-hmm. got to have a passion that's deeper and more significant than I want to make a lot of money. Yeah. Um, how are you going to keep going if you're not making a lot of money? Yeah. <laughs> you know, what if you're not getting that freedom you wanted? What if you're not getting the benefits uh, of, of business ownership that you thought you would get? And, and that's about as personal of a reason to become a marriage counselor yeah. as I can think of other than having gone through something in your own marriage. Yeah. Yeah. And I share that story very openly. I do a lot of public speaking because I do want people to know that I've been in their shoes and that I am doing this not just for the living. Like my husband teases me all the time that, you know, (laughs) sometimes he's like, you don't charge enough. You're, you're basically doing volunteer work sometimes, but if I can help people have happier, healthier families that I'm happy. And pay yeah. my bills. <laughs> that's 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 worth yeah. it all to yeah. do that. And I love what I do. It never ever feels like work. It really doesn't. And I know people. Some people say that my son's an entrepreneur too. And I know sometimes, like the billing part or the email part, that sounds that feels like work. But the actual work, consulting with my clients, never feels like work. Yeah, all the time. I find oh, yeah. I I do this work because I love this work. I have, uh, you know, I I try not to tell too many people this, but I have. I have found that I forgot to bill people mm-hmm. all, all the time. I, and I was like, Oh shoot, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, for a few years, you know, and then yeah. I was like, Oh darn it. All the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hate that. Yeah. <laughs> Cause yeah. I'm not going to go back I'm gonna, yeah. and go, Hey, uh, three, you know, for yeah. the past three years, you haven't actually I've been paid. Didn't actually never paid. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. The, uh, the best clients will, they'll know that. Yeah. They'll know. They'll bring it up. They'll bring it up. They'll actually ask you. Man, I I had one client ask me this year, this is like, no matter what, I will always work with these people because they came to me and they said, Hey, like we know inflation's pretty, um, pretty high right now. Like, do you need to raise your fee? (laughs) And I was like, Oh my God. Like, Oh, I love you. No, actually I won't do that because you asked. (laughs) 
I was just going to say that, Sanger. I had a client recently that was overpaying me for, I don't know, three, four sessions in a row. And the first session we did, it was an emergency and we did go over time. And then the second session was also an emergency on a weekend. But then she kept doing it. And I, I messaged her and I said, you know, I think you're confused about my rate. You've been overpaying me. And she said, no, I, I'm doing, I've been doing that on purpose. So wow. I had some, yeah, yeah. She, maybe so she, maybe she, she said, was prepaying. You, you should be paying for this. <laughs> yeah. Prepaying for more emergencies. This. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or that's someone who's really self-aware and knows they're hard to deal with. <laughs> like, no, it, it's got to cost more to deal with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very lucky. I actually really enjoy all of my clients. I am to a point in my career where I'm only working with people that that I enjoy. Mm -hmm. And, and I tell, I tell all my clients that (laughs) you're one of them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, I do the same. And people ask me, how can you select? And it's interesting, but you can know, I can know in the first email when people are trying to get an appointment with me, if they're going to be a high maintenance client or, Oh really? Oh yeah. 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 What gives it off in, in an email? When they tell me I can only meet at eight o'clock on Saturday morning, well, I don't work oh. Saturday morning. Oh. Or, you I know, certainly I, don't work eight o'clock on yeah. Saturday morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if I was going to work on Saturday, yeah. it wouldn't be eight o'clock. Wouldn't be eight o'clock. So that's a tip off. Another tip off is when they type out, you know, a three-page email of their whole life psychological history and story, you know, with someone who just, they have no windows of time, you know, cause I ask people, tell me generally the days and, and windows of time you're available. So I can see if I have a slot for you. But, um, so when they have no availability or they just want to tell you their whole story before they're even your client, those are kind of two tip offs for me. Interesting. Probably, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Do you, do you have that singer with, with, I, you know, the, I, I can I can tell that like people who it's just impossible to meet with them because um, no one's that busy, you know, so it's like it it's either someone who can't manage their own calendar mm-hmm. well yeah. or it's someone who isn't prioritizing the work that they're paying me to do. And mm-hmm. I don't want to do that. Like even if they want to pay it, they're not going to implement anything that we talk about. Yeah, because they can't even find the time to come in. Now, there are some exceptions for sure. You know, mm-hmm. some people like, yeah. hey, you know, the, this is the, these are my windows of, of work. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have a lot of flexibility. I don't want to use my vacation time. But that's not the usually the type of person that I'm working with anyway. Yeah. So that excuse doesn't fly very much unless, you know, you know, I think I have one client who like literally is an hourly employee i get a little i give him a hard time a little bit because i'm like dude you don't even need to be working like you're right. oh. you're you know you're like <laughs> why are you still doing you this? don't really need financially to be doing this but okay fine you know, I, get I get it. and you probably get this too i get uh some clients who will bring articles to me or send me articles about yeah. what the market is doing or yeah. something you know mm-hmm. or opinions on the market kim do you do you get clients sending you articles about mm-hmm. The, the stuff that they're dealing with you on? Mm-hmm. Sometimes, uh, not as much, but I, I, but I occasionally, and I'm going to be honest, as I'm sitting here thinking in my head, it's always been males. Yeah. 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 
Oh well, yeah, because we we got to know everything. Maybe, and sometimes it's sometimes it's helpful. Sometimes they're bringing me the articles that I would suggest that they read. Uh-huh. One time I recently had to tell a client, just let me do my job, um, because that particular client was trying to email me ahead of the marriage sessions to say, make sure you bring up this or make <laughs> he sure was you front running. that. Yes. Talk, talk to her about this. Yes. Oh. Yes. I can see that happening. Um, and, and knowing the person's occupation, I kind of understood that that's sort of their MO, but I just gently said, you know, you have to trust me to do my job. And it's really not appropriate to send me these before session. I would get one from this one client and it's only, it feels like homework. You know, it's like, you know, this is what, you know, this person thinks, you know, the market's going to do. I'm like, well, obviously, you know, I know this, but like now I have to craft a response. Tailored to, to, to this specific insight of this one author. Right. <laughs> so Kim, we were, we were talking about how, being grounded was was helpful. So when you talk to clients, you, you talk with people in, in marriage, you talk to parents with with kids. Does this grounding issue in terms of being trying to become more grounded, does that come up a lot in your in your discussions? It does. I would say I was thinking about this. It comes up more in my clients who have anxiety. Uh, we do a lot of grounding exercises and kind of take time to be present. It does come up in decision making, but I guess I don't use that terminology a lot with my clients who I'm working with decision making. We go through kinds of things so that they don't make reactive decisions. And I always tell people when they feel like their emotions are controlling their body or kind of I give them different grounding exercises to do to kind of get back in the present and get back in the moment. The majority of the time I use grounding is or, or work with people on being grounded is really an anxiety. Well, it, it would seem like if if somebody can become more grounded, that you'd be in a better place to to make better decisions. I would oh, yeah. I would think. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Yeah, because I think that when people make poor decisions, what I see in my practice, when people regret their decisions, let's say, it's usually because the decision was based in fear or a really strong emotion, anger, resentment. Um, And the people that are usually happy with their decisions didn't make the decision when they were based in an emotional state. Oh, uh, for sure. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think when when I've made reactive decisions, I almost instantly regret it. You know, Mm -hmm. you, you can tell, you can tell in the moment, you know, like I'm, I'm in a high reactive state. I am, I'm doing something I am not going to be happy about, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) almost immediately after this event is over. I've been in that situation. I think we all have. It's not so much, I think, making a decision that is based in emotion as it is anytime emotions are guiding the decision-making process, we're less likely to make decisions that are aligned with our values. Mm -hmm. So not all emotional decisions are reactive. Um, but a reactive decision is almost always an emotional decision. What else would I be reacting to? Right. But I could, I could be depressed for a month (laughs) and making decisions the whole time. I could be excited for a month. I could be fearful for weeks on end. And, And so we could have those emotions linger for a long time and still impact the decision making process. And the reason that's negative 
is that if I've made a decision foundationally on 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 the basis of an emotion, yeah, I've likely not reflected on what's truly important to me because I, mm-hmm. I I'm, I'm going to prioritize this fear, right? Going to prioritize this excitement. And I would even add to that, Sanger, that um, not only are you not really examining your values as much, but you're also probably not thinking about how your decision will impact other people around you. And certainly that applies to everybody in all walks of life, but it especially applies to the things that I work on because I really work on relationships and connection. And so when people make reactive decisions or emotionally based decisions, they're really just thinking about their emotion or not even thinking about it. Their emotion is guiding them and they're not really thinking about the fallout. Like one of the examples that I see a lot in my practice is extramarital affairs. And in the moment that seems really exciting and really attractive. And they, you'd, you'd be surprised, but so many people just don't think about the emotional fallout for all the people around them. They might think about how it would impact their spouse or their partner. They don't think about how it's going to impact their children or how it's going to impact their parents or their neighbors or their church or, you know, because that kind of thing, once it comes out, it affects all those people. It changes all the relationships, Um, but they're just making that poor decision (laughs) out of the emotion in the moment. Mm. Oh, for sure. I had a, I had a discussion with a friend of mine who was going through a divorce a few years ago and he, he was, he was planning on getting divorced. And I said, well, here's something you should know (laughs) is that Mm -hmm. your kids are, it's going to take them about 10 years to 15 years to get over this. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they're, they're not going to like you for a while. Yeah. Um, and, and he's like, what, you know? And, and uh, <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's, that's how that's going to go. They're going to, th- this is going to really impact them. Yeah. And- I'm surprised at how many people don't, they, they don't think about how their decisions will impact those around them. They really just think about how the decision is going to impact them in the short term. Yeah. 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 Not even, not even in the long term. Yeah. yeah. Right. So when, when you think about that term being grounded, Right. I mean, how, how are you defining that for your clients? Like, what do you what do you think about when you think about that term being grounded? It's being aware and present in the moment. And when I do grounding exercises with my clients, it's usually to get in touch with all of their senses and to kind of get to a calm baseline so that they can think rationally and that they so that those emotions aren't overtaking them. And usually, I'll be honest, it's usually anxiety. Sometimes it's anger, sometimes it's excitement, sometimes it's depression. But you can be grounded and be depressed. You can even be grounded and be afraid. It's just that you're kind of getting a hold of those physical reactions. And almost like, I would use an analogy, because I do think it's hard to actually describe it, like that there's a static and you're kind of turning down the static so that you can hear your own thoughts and your own wisdom and your own logic and your own breathing and just kind of calming down your sympathetic nervous system so that you can think clearly and be in the moment. And so much we're, we're, we have so much stimuli around us that 
it's like background static all the time. So it's kind of turning down the static. How you, you made the comment somebody could be grounded and depressed. And mm -hmm. my, my initial reason, I don't really understand enough about either one, maybe. Mm -hmm. But how, how Let's can. Let's start with grounding. I mean, when I hear the term grounding, I think walking barefoot in my garden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, and so, I mean, for some people that, that could be, but so my favorite exercise for grounding to do really quickly with people when they feel a panic attack coming on, sometimes I have people do jumping jacks because you can't, you have to kind of focus a little bit on the coordination and you kind of have to stop focusing on going down that road of panic. It's to kind of bring you back to the present moment without distractions. And so one of the other things I'll have people do, and sometimes not even when they're in a bad state, but just people who are overwhelmed, when they go on their walks, I say, you know, just smell. What do you smell? Do you smell laundry detergent? Sometimes when I'm walking through my neighborhood, I can smell from the vents, the laundry. I live in Houston, Texas. There's always somebody got a brisket on the grill. I can always smell, you know, meat. You can smell laundry her. detergent on the street? You know why? Because I pay attention. Yes. I, when I'm walking down the or street, Or do you have like the world's most impressive nose? <laughs> no, I don't. Sanger, try it. If you, I don't know if you, I live in a neighborhood with all homes, family homes. And if I, if I'm walking down the street and someone's running their dryer, I can smell from the vent. But you have to, that's what being grounded is. You hit the, you hit it on the nose, no pun intended, but you have to <laughs> notice those things. And you probably would if you noticed. We're so busy listening to a podcast, looking around, thinking about our to-do list that our senses are not taking in just the normal. Okay, I feel that. I, I can hear yeah. you. Yeah. Like if so I, you say, I'm thinking I'm going to go ride my bike later. I'm yeah. going to go ride my bike later mm -hmm. today. I'm going to go down the trail. Mm -hmm. I've never thought about what it smells like unless it smells terrible. Bad. Mm -hmm. So this unless is what I want you to do awful. next. Think, say, okay, what do I smell? What do I hear? We don't even pay attention to the noises. I will hear the leaf blower, but I often don't hear the birds unless I say, okay, what do I hear right now? What do I feel? I feel a breeze. I feel the sun. I feel... The wet grass reminding ourselves to be present mm -hmm. okay and we can do that best through our senses so i tell people go from top to bottom what do i see what do i hear what do i smell i don't really taste anything on my walks but you can do it other times uh what do yeah what do i feel so you go through your five senses and you ask yourself and that brings you to the present and if you're really working on being right there in the present you're not distracted by all those other things what am i doing later when's this deadline did i answer that email what time do i have to pick up the kids am i feeling anxious you're just focusing on the moment and that's something we should all do every day for mental health not just when we have to make a decision or when we're feeling anxious. So start at the head, work down to the toes. Mm -hmm. What am I thinking? What am I seeing? What am I smelling? What am I tasting? I guess. Mm -hmm. um, what am I? What do feeling? I feel on my skin? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. See like, now you got me like. Look at this, Kim. I'm so <laughs> uncomfortable now because I'm like I feel my. I feel Why are you uncomfortable? Because now it's like too many things that I'm thinking about. I'm like, this stupid little cord from my headphones is like <laughs> on my forearm and my shirt. Oh, well, my shirt's on my neck and my chest and my and my abdomen and my shoulders. Well, I, you remember when we, we uh, 
Oh, we were talking I want to Jeremy. ignore all these things. Remember when well, we were talking about Jeremy? You don't do it now, <laughs> Sanger. You don't do it now. <laughs> now I you're mean, supposed to be focusing. On yeah, I would different. not say this is the time to be grounded. I would. I hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm smelling right now. I'm gonna need you to. I'm past the hearing. This is something you want to do when you're feeling anxious. I tell people if you walk, run, mountain bike, whatever your activity like that, do it then. Do it when you're outside. All right. Yeah. I'm going to report back when, okay, good. after I'm done today and okay, I'll let good. you know if I smell any tide. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you, do you remember when we were, uh, were golfing with Jeremy Pointsnow out at, uh, yeah, at the event? Yes. And so he was so grounded because... He's so, a blind golfer. Yeah. So Kim, he, he couldn't wow. see. And wow. yet, uh, so we were lining up to take these golf shots and he, before I even said anything, he said, so I know there's water over to the left mm -hmm. and he motioned over to where this little lake was. And I said, wait, wait a minute. I thought you, could, mm -hmm. <laughs> you couldn't see. How do you know there's water over there? He goes, you don't hear it. Mm -hmm. I was like, no, yeah. this is a pond. Yeah, it's, I mean, a it's pond. not the ocean. Yeah. How did he hear the pond? Yeah. And I was like, holy crap, dude. I mean, your your senses are way above mine when it comes mm -hmm. to being being aware of what's going on, even though he had lost one of them. Well, and that does happen with people that are either hearing impaired, often their sight is better. And so we do know that, but we are all better. We can all get better at tapping into that. It's just that we let all the noise distract us. But if you focus on that, you would be able to do it too. So it, when you think about being grounded, okay, let's say you go through this this exercise mm -hmm. of, of, of sort of grounding, of, of starting at the head, and what am I thinking? What am I seeing, feeling, hearing, mm -hmm. tasting? You know, what's on my mm -hmm. feet? Mm -hmm. You know, all of those types of things. H how does that translate into being able to make better or more quality decisions? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because what we know we do is we sort of, when you ground yourself like that, you calm down your nervous system and you're more in the present. And we're just better able to make all decisions when that emotion isn't the number one thing driving us. It sounds so fake until you do it. Yeah. Like, oh, I've done it like before. The, it's... Um, the Something as simple as breathing. Mm-hmm. Oh, I used to hate, like when I was a kid, being mad at something. Mm -hmm. Take a deep breath. Mm -hmm. It's. I think the problem with these messages is they're communicated to like. Oh, by the time you're already pissed. Yeah. Yeah, it's too yeah. late. It, you know, and they're they're like reduced to just breathe, man. Like, yeah. I'm breathing already. Yeah. I'm dying if I didn't breathe. Ah. You're not in a good headspace yeah. to try that at that point. Yeah. But if you do it, it's like, oh, oh, that did work. Well, you know what helps me, Sanger? I have a son who's who's an entrepreneur, and I, he would love your podcast. He's in Thailand right now working, but he had um, major anxiety and major migraines in middle school, and he went to biofeedback. And I don't know if you know what biofeedback is, but no. it's basically training your brain to relax your body, and you get feedback from your body. So he would have a little temperature thing um, where he could tell his body to warm up and that would help his migraines. And I've done it. And, and a lot of people in my profession do it. Um, and I've gone to learn biofeedback myself, but you can control your heart rate. You can control your breathing. And the best way to control all of those bodily responses, all those 
fight or flight reactions that we have, which would cause us to make really poor decisions most of the time. Sometimes they're good because they're survival decisions, but um, for like good long-term decisions, we need we not, we don't want to be in fight or flight. Um, and one of the best ways you can do that is breathing. And for me, I after Hurricane Harvey, I live in Houston, and my whole neighborhood was decimated except my mm-hmm. house. My husband and my son were rescuing people in kayaks, I developed a cough, an anxious cough, and I could not get rid of it. It's not good to be a counselor who coughs all the time or a public speaker or a podcaster who coughs all the time. And breathing, I would look at my um, Fitbit or my Apple Watch and I would do the Breathe app and the recommended breathing rate is 5.6 per breath. But I guess it's um, you set it on your Breathe app. And when I did that on my Fitbit or on my Apple Watch, I saw my heart rate go from 89 or 99 sometimes down to 40 in one minute of doing this 5.6 breaths per minute. And that's the rate that we know 5.6 breaths calms your body down the most. And when I could see that happening, you feel this incredible power, like, wow, I can do this. I can, I can stop myself from overreacting to something. And so I always tell my clients, I never tell them just breathe. I say, get some sort of, even if you get the $19 Amazon watch, that'll let you track it. Do the breathe app and see when you can see what it's doing to your body, it rewards your brain and then you want to do it. But I also tell people, you can't just do those things in the state of panic. Grounding, you should do every time you mountain bike, every time you go for a walk, every Mm -hmm. time you're sitting on your front porch, you know, once a day to kind of bring you back to the present. The breathe breathing exercises, you should do that once in the morning and once before bed, and that will keep you grounded more regularly. It's like maintenance. The breathing, breathing is so, so, so important. And the exercises, I think the reminder for people is the exercises are designed to, they're, they're not only good in the moment, but they're designed to have you breathe better when you're not doing the exercise. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. They're not just like this. It's not just this thing you do. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like praying. Well, I'm not praying just so I'm mindful of my relationship with God while I pray. Mm-hmm. I'm praying so that I'm more mindful while the I'm not praying, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. that's when I'm actually doing stuff. Yeah. Like I'm not going to sin or make any big mistakes while I'm praying. Mm-hmm. So the breathing, um, I, I, I trained jujitsu in oh. one of the um, like original members of the original family who kind of brought jujitsu to the United States. His name is Hickson Gracie. He was the, you know, biggest of the, of the family of the brothers that kind of came in and brought it to the country and widely regarded as one of the, as the best of all time, even though he wasn't as famous as some of his cousins and brothers Mm -hmm. and his, he, he would say in interviews, like his main secret was his breath. He -hmm. would do these weird, like yoga breathing things where he would practice sucking in his stomach so that you could see like his ribs. I mean, he looked like an Auschwitz victim Mm -hmm. and this is a, you know, 230 pound guy. He would just, and his stomach would stomach would suck in like tight where his, you know, stomach would go from this, you know, his front of his body to his back of his body. And it would look like, you know, the size of a textbook. And, um, I'll send you a video later. It's, It's amazing looking. And um, he has all these sort of exercises to do it to kind of 
remind himself to be calm so his muscles can work and so he can actually react in the way that he is trained to react instead of gritting his teeth, holding his breath. Right. Well, if I'm doing that, I'm not getting any oxygen to my muscles. I'm going to fatigue quicker. If I fatigue Mm -hmm. quicker, I'm not as strong. If I'm not as strong, I can't execute the move as well. And if I can't execute the move as well, I'm going to lose. So the, the breath in the physical exercise is just like running. I mean, the best runners know how to breathe when they run. They don't mindlessly run and not think about their breath. They would, if you had the choice to think about only your, your breathing or where you put your feet while you're running, mm-hmm. the best runner is probably thinking about his breathing, not where to put his feet. You're going to put your feet mm-hmm. in the right spot. But oddly enough, we'll forget to breathe. And yeah. I find myself doing that all the time. I'm struggling for a particular position or submission or whatever. And I'll just be mm-hmm. the whole time. I'm not getting there, getting anywhere. And when I'm done and I do remember to breathe, I'm going to be in a worse spot. Yeah. So I'm a big believer in breath. But if you can think about existing in a state of stress or anxiety why, and you can recognize okay, well, if I'm fighting and I'm not breathing or if I'm running and I'm not breathing, it's bad for my performance in that moment. Yeah. Well, that's what we're doing to our bodies when we're worried about our family finances. Right. And we're sitting there stressing it or we're talking to our spouse about it. And we notice the entire time we've had this conversation, we're not breathing. Mm-hmm. Or the entire or time we're I'm breathing too at, quickly. Sometimes or breathing it's a too matter quickly, of yeah. breathing too quickly. Because when we're anxious, we or do shallowly. That too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. And I think about kids. Um, I've had several ADHD experts on my podcast. And, you know, one of the things they all emphasize is that kids cannot learn when they're anxious. None of us can learn when we're anxious. And so teaching kids how to do this so that they can learn better, but it's adults too, because ultimately even, you know, your brain thinking of that next move in jujitsu is, is learning, right? It's reacting. And we can't do that in a state of anxiety or not. Well, we don't do it our best. And yes, when our breathing is either too fast or not enough, our body goes into what mimics the state of anxiety and we're not going to do our best. Yeah. 100%. The, uh, have you ever seen the video Robert Downey Jr. interviewed by, I think it was Martin Brashears in, in, I'm maybe getting that mm-hmm. wrong, but the interviewer starts asking him, it was one of the, some movie promo mm-hmm. thing he was doing. And the interviewer starts asking him about drug abuse and when he was in mm-hmm. jail and it's like, mm-hmm. you know, totally off topic and inappropriate. If you watch Robert Downey Jr. He's breathing, watch his chest mm-hmm. during that video. And you can see it rise and fall as he's mm-hmm. consciously saying, this is, I, I'm trying, he's trying to yeah. calm himself. Yeah. Yeah. And you can, and you see his breath. I mean, you don't see you don't see people breathe normal, but you can watch that video. Yeah. And uh, Robert Downey Jr. finally leaves the yeah. interview, kind of calls it and go, oh, "Hey, wow. you know, I'm going to go ahead and go." Mm-hmm. And uh, but it's really interesting. I know what video you're talking about. I'll watch that. Yeah, watch, watch it, and you can later. see his chest move. Yeah. But I remember when I was training for for marathons, and I'd be running, and you probably had this experience too. I would just focus on breathing while I was yeah. running and there'd be periods of time, I'm like, I'm going to take, you know, five breaths mm-hmm. in and then 
you know, three breaths out. Also, or, it helps whatever pass it the time when you're it, running 20 miles. Yeah, when you're running 26 <laughs> miles. You, you got to do, you got to find something. Oh, I wonder how long it's going to take me to breathe a hundred times. Yeah. Cool. I, Let's do that again. Yeah. <laughs> well, and yeah. I had, um, I had a Navy SEAL on my podcast once and he talked about that. That's a huge, huge, huge part of their training. Um, is breath work to be able to make split second decisions. They have to remain in that state of calm. You no, know, I would, I would think so. Mm-hmm. I, I do some physical therapy work, the, uh, you know, stretching and things like that. Yeah. The woman who does that, she, <laughs> she's constantly telling me, she goes, uh, you need to breathe. <laughs> Remember to breathe because mm-hmm. like it hurts. Well, yeah. You know, she's she's like, digging oh. her elbow into your yeah. sorest like, thigh. Right. Yeah. yeah. Do, do you find yourself doing that where you're just like, oh, yeah, I'm like, like oh, I, I'm forgetting to breathe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you kind of uh, out of it. I'll do that. Sometimes I'm so sore. I forget to breathe. Though. I'm like just going to get a snack at the fridge. <laughs> I'm like, oh, limping over there. Like, oh, that's not good. Yeah. I, I used to um, have horrible allergy problems. So like I couldn't, I couldn't, eat and breathe at the same time because <laughs> I couldn't breathe through my nose. So I would have to like chew and then chew again and then breathe through my mouth. Mm-hmm. I think that was a lot of problems. I, I want to explain by seasonal back. allergies in Texas. Yeah. I want to circle back to something we talked about with grounding to um, just so I talked about the census, but there's something I came across years ago that I want to share with y'all because it's been so helpful to my clients. And I don't know that I know you talk about decisions all the time. I don't know if this kind of technique has been brought up, but I'm Catholic and I, I love the Jesuits. My sons went to Jesuits, high, Jesuit high schools, and I've read a lot of St. Ignatius work and St. Ignatius came up with this principle. Um, and I don't know exactly. Oh, he calls it the Ignatian way of decision-making. He talks about like living in your head with the decision. So let's say you have to decide between job A and job B or moving or not moving. And what I have is a lot of clients who are trying to help their kids pick a college or pick a private high school here in Houston. And so I tell them, live for 24 hours as though you've made decision A. And think about how that would impact. Go through your breakfast, go through your whole day as though you have made decision A and be in touch with all of your senses. How does that feel? What would it look like? What would it, maybe you don't know what it would smell like, but um, you think about how that feels through the day and do that, try on the decision basically for a day or two and then try on the other decision for a day or two and, and pay attention to how your body feels and how your mind feels. And my clients who go through that exercise, now granted, it takes a couple of days. You can't make a quick decision this way, but big decisions like whether to move, whether to take a job, what college to go to, you can all you can take a couple of days usually to do those. It's always becomes crystal clear to them as they sort of try on the decision, both decisions for a day. They can feel in their body and in their head which one is the better decision for them. Do they, do they find that it's instant? Like when I start sort of really putting myself in that position, I've, I've made decision B mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm starting to assess and take inventory of what I'm thinking, feeling, you know, touching, uh, smelling, you know, so mm-hmm. forth. Yeah. Are they finding that that is an instant 
clarification of the appropriateness of the decision or do they find they're, they're having to go back and keep reflecting on it or what? I mean, the clients that I've done it and I've done it myself, they usually know, let's say they're deciding between um, buying a new house or staying in their current house. And they try on the decision first of if we move, if we move to this other house, they can usually tell by the end of that day and they don't even need to try on the second decision, but I have them do it anyway. I have them try on the second decision and give that the benefit of the doubt. But yeah, I mean, I usually think they know within a day or two. I don't think they know within 10 minutes. Yeah. I think I unintentionally uh, did that in college and it prevented me from joining the army. So I went to uh, Texas A&M, which is mm-hmm. a senior yeah. military college. I was a member of the Corps of Cadets. Corps. And mm-hmm. there's a, for the first time in my life, I was getting social pressure, pressure to join the army. I had never considered it, never wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, my great granddad was in the Navy like that. We're not a military family. Um, so it's just not something I ever really thought I would do. I get there and it's like, that's what you do. Yeah. Most of these guys are going into the army. Um, and a lot of them knew that since they were four years old, you know, that's all they've ever wanted to do. So I kind of get talked into it by one of my friends. I'm like, all right, you know, okay, maybe I will. I'll enlist in the army and I'll be an officer and I'll do this. And so I go talk to the recruiter and I'm like, I'm in it. I'm like mm-hmm. one signature away at this point from, from being in the army. Mm-hmm. And my friend acted as if that was what I had decided, you know, even though I was still kind of deciding. Oh, wow. And so he started to tell everyone, yeah, Sanger's enlisting. Yeah, mm-hmm. Sanger's in that. So people started to interact with me as if that was the case. Mm-hmm. And they started to talk about things that I was going to obviously do next. Um, and so I started to hear other people talk about my future based on a decision that I was still deliberating. And I realized so quickly that mm-hmm. I did not want to do that. I mean, I couldn't sleep. Oh, I was, wow. You I, knew that was the wrong I decision. I was just like, this is not for me, man. I don't want, I don't want any part of this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, God bless the people that do it. It was not for me. Um, and you paid attention to what your body was telling you. See, that's the thing. If you're not grounded, you miss those signals. Yeah. But you really paid attention to how it felt and you knew it didn't feel right. And I don't think we should make decisions solely on what we feel. Obviously, we need logic and information. Sure. And But you really saw, you had that too. You had the information, but you really paid attention to this just doesn't, you tried it on. Well, people kind of tried it on for you and you knew it wasn't right. So how do you differentiate between making decisions based on being grounded and making decisions based on just sort of what I'm feeling and, you know, just yeah. like how it feels, right? The emotion of it. Yeah. That's got to so, be a fine line. I think um, time is key. I think people rush things and emotions balance out over time. And so I think we always should take as much time as we can, not delay decisions or procrastinate. That's entirely different. Right. But take take time making decisions gathering all the information. I don't, and and people might, you know, criticize me for this, but I don't think we should always trust our gut. Some people's guts are off. I see it all the time. I see people <laughs> in my practice who date 
total narcissists over and over and over again, they should not trust their gut. They should trust other people. They should trust other information. That made me think of uh, someone that Sean and I both know where they were talking about a relationship and he said, so everything that you think mm-hmm. you should do, do the opposite of that. Yeah. You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You should not trust your guy. Yeah. So, and, and I mean, we laugh about that, but imagine how hard that must be going through life where you can't trust your gut. And it's usually people who've had trauma or a history of maybe abusive parents or so their gut is really kind of messed up. You know, they don't, they don't have a good compass for making good decisions. And so you know, you hear all the time and it sounds like, oh, trust your gut, trust your gut. Not everybody should do that. So you need to balance it with information. Is it, it, so it, I don't know what it's like to, I mean, obviously I've made bad decisions before. Really? But I'm going to get ahead of that before you <laughs> smack me down. But, uh, okay, but I, I don't feel like I can't trust my gut. Yeah. You know, sure, maybe, I, I'm, I can't think of an example, but I'm sure I've made decisions based on my gut. I, I that give have been you plenty of examples if you want. Yeah, okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> But my point is, I don't feel like I'm my gut saying or most people don't. <laughs> but yeah, you wouldn't. No, but uh, like, well, I don't up. think anybody, Whatever. nobody says I can't trust my gut. That's Obviously, some say. of her patients do. Not no, many. she said they shouldn't trust them. their gut. They <laughs> no, shouldn't trust their say. gut. Yeah, okay. not many people have that self awareness. Some people my gut do. has made me money and relationships yeah. and fr- it's worked for Your me. Your gut's good. So, so. What I'm saying is that the people who can't trust their gut are, is it really that they can't trust their gut or are they making decisions based on other factors and unable to articulate that? Oh, I, I think that's a really good point. I think it, it's, it's varied. It depends on the person. And honestly, the people I work with that when they come to me and they probably shouldn't trust their gut because their past history shows that it's led them in the wrong places. When we dig, their gut probably was telling them something different and they were ignoring it. So they need to learn how what how to listen to their instincts better and ignore maybe impulses or past patterns. Um, and I kind of get them to a place where they can learn to trust their gut. I get them to a place where they can shift their perspective and have different expectations of people. So I think the people that can't really trust their gut can get there. Just like the people that aren't grounded or don't know that the pond is next to them can get there. It just takes sort of some work. So how do you deliver the message to people that uh, that they shouldn't be trusting their gut? That's going to be a, t- a tough message to deliver to say, you know, you are not great at decision making. Uh, you should bring in some other factors into the equation. I tell them their picker is broken. Yeah. That, you know, if it's relationships, I tell them their picker is broken. Um, They know, listen, they know. That's why they're coming to me. They know that what they've done thus far has not proven to be very beneficial. Yeah, they they may have a sense of openness to that sort of feedback, I guess, if they're talking to you. Yeah, and I'm pretty blunt. And the the clients that like me... um, they like that. You know, I, there are, listen, there are a lot of people who do my job who will listen to you talk about your life and say, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and how does that make you feel? And I don't mm-hmm. do that. I, and that's why I really call what I do coaching more because 
I want to get people moving more quickly in a healthy direction. I validate their feelings and their experiences. And then I say, okay, what can we do differently? Because this isn't working. What can, what can we do differently? That's a question I'm always asking my clients because that's why they're coming. If everything was working really well, they wouldn't be coming to my office. Right. So yeah. I think my clients in particular <clears throat> appreciate that. I'm sure there are some that don't. Some just want to be told that what they're doing is great and they're going to keep doing the same thing. And those people will pay some money to have that message delivered to them and they will never improve their life. But exactly. They will not show up at your doorstep or my doorstep <laughs> or Sean's doorstep <laughs> and mm -hmm. stick around for very long. Mm -mm. Thank you so much, Kim, uh, for taking the time to be with us. I really enjoyed talking with you. And I know Sean learned a lot. <laughs> Thank you. Guys. I learned all the things I'll I'll coach you on later. Thanks. And I want to know if you hear laundry detergent on your next or I I will let detergent. you know if I smell it today. Yeah. Um where can people get a hold of you and find your work? So I um I'm on Instagram at Dr. Kim Swales, S-W-A-L-E-S. And I have a website, www.kimswales.com. And I have a podcast called Connecting with Dr. Kim Swales. And um, I talk to everybody about connection, relationships, parenting, marriage, friendship, um, social media, anxiety, depression, ADHD, you name it. If it's in the realm of connection, psychology, relationships, it, we've got an episode on it. Awesome. Thank you, Kim. Thank you, guys. Well, my takeaway from our discussion with Dr. Kim Swells is really around if I am feeling uh, physically uncomfortable, emotionally hurt, or at a high anxiety state, it's going to be hard for me to get grounded. And so I've got to get myself in a position where I'm in touch with those senses and the breathing is really important to get grounded. If I can get, if I can do that, I'm in a better space to make better decisions. My biggest takeaway was when we talked about the Ignatian style of decision-making to live with that decision um, act as if that is the decision that you've made. So if you're pondering a decision, Instead of weighing the pros and cons and going back and forth, simply act as if you made that choice. What would your life be like? Imagine yourself having made that decision and then you will be able to see if the consequences of that choice are something you could bear. You just made a great decision to listen to this episode of Decidedly. Make another great decision and leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate your support. It helps others find our community and defeat bad decision-making in their own lives. For more daily decision-making insights, check us out at decidedlypodcast.com and on Facebook and Instagram at decidedlypodcast. Thanks again for listening. I'm Sanger Smith, and this is Decidedly. Insights, advice, and comments provided by Sean Smith, Sanger Smith, and speakers identified as part of the Decidedly podcast should not be considered recommendations. Speakers not identified as members of Decidedly are expressing their opinion, and their statements should not be construed as reflecting the views of the Decidedly team. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes, not personalized advice.